0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Good morning. Our scripture today is Matthew 5, verse 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you for reading, Andy. Good morning, downtown church. Fourth of July week as we celebrate freedom. But it's another freedom we got to, you know, I ain't about to go to church that quick. I ain't about to go to church that quick. Um, but, but good morning. Uh, I am Pastor Sergei, and you are here. We are continuing our summer um, preaching series titled Kingdom. Our kingdom identity fuels our kingdom Id- living, which means who we are to be in God's kingdom drives and leads us in how we live and shape our life. And this morning, I have to warn you up front that what Jesus calls us to do is not the most exciting or easy or pleasurable thing that he calls us to do, but nonetheless, it is important. So before preaching this word, will you just bow for a quick word of prayer as I ask God to prepare our hearts and minds to hear and receive his word. Dear Lord, your word says that we need you to prepare our hearts so that the seed of your word may fall on good soil and bear good fruit. So God, I pray right now that you remove distractions, that you soften our heart, clear our minds to hear a word from you. Be with me now as I stand here to preach. Now. Access in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to talk to you this morning about when loving you hurts me. When loving you hurts me. Coach Carter is one of my favorite sports movies. It's based upon a real story starring the one and only Samuel L. Jackson. And in this movie, Samuel L. Jackson plays Coach Carter, returns to his high school as the head basketball coach. And this one school that was once a prominent, a uh, successful basketball team is now a school plagued with gun violence, poverty, and trouble. And not only that, but the team is so bad that they only have won one game in the past three years. The team sucks because the team is constantly fighting each other. They have all of these great players, but they get on the court and they lose because they are at war with each other. And throughout the movie... The two big enemies are Cruz and Jason, and Cruz and Jason hate each other. They physically fight each other. They can't stand each other. They want the worst for each other. But good news for Jason, Cruz gets kicked off the team for violating team rules. And Cruz comes to Coach crying and said, what I got to do to get back on the team? Coach, basketball is all I got. Coach, what I got to do? Coach said, all right. Um, Coach Carter gave Cruz an impossible task. He said, you have to do 2,500 push-ups and 1,000 suicide drills in three days. Cruz got the push uping if that's the word, and he got the running. And three days later, the moment of truth came, and Cruz was 500 push-ups and 80 suicide drills short. And Coach Carter said, what you did was impress the son, but you did not accomplish the task. Please leave my gym." And in this moment, the unexpected happened. Jason, his enemy, said, Coach, I'm going to do his push-ups and run for him. And Jason got on the ground and started doing push-ups. And without saying a word, the rest of his team was encouraged and inspired to join and complete the last 500 push-ups and 80 suicide drills so Cruz could be on the team. What's impressive about this moment is that a divided team who didn't care about each other was brought together, was united, experienced a new peace all through one act of love. Two enemies who couldn't stand each other, who families hated each other because they was a part of two different neighborhoods, became friends, all because Jason chose to love his enemy even when it hurt. And this is essentially what today's passage calls us to do. It calls us to love others even when it hurts, but in the hope of bringing peace and restoration to the world. See, remember earlier in this chapter, chapter 5, Jesus says, who you are to be in my kingdom, you are the salt of the earth and the light of this world. The salt being a healing and flavoring agent that, that, that brings healing to broken relationships in this world. You are to be the light casting out darkness bringing god's kingdom on earth how do we bring god's kingdom on earth jesus tells us but you might not like what he says jesus says love your enemy yes you heard me right the way to live out god's mission the way to live out god's purpose for your life is to love those very people who love you who who have hurt you so deeply I just saw a couple of y'all put y'all pens down to stop taking notes. But let me give you some good news, real quick. God does not call us to do anything that He doesn't give us the power to do, and Jesus does not call us to do anything that He Himself has not already done for us. So the main, the excuse me, the main idea, simply put, is this: God calls and empowers us to love those who are impossible to love. God commands us and gives us the power to love those who are impossible to love. So the first thing we learned this morning, our first point this morning is love and pray for your enemies. Love and pray for your enemies. I want to take us back again. Jesus tells his followers earlier in this chapter, you are the salt and light of this world. Then he goes on to teach exactly how you are to do that. In verse 21, he says, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I say, don't just don't get unjustly angry because you are murdering in your heart. In verse 27, he says, you have heard it said, do not commit the physical act of adultery. But I say, even if you lust in your mind, you are committing adultery in your heart. In verse 38, he says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Meaning, if someone hits you in your right eye, you hit them back in in their right eye because that is what is fair and right. But I say, do not hit back. Instead, turn the other cheek and let them hit the other cheek too. And last but not least, Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Do you, like me, feel the tension increasing as Jesus keeps speaking? First, it's like, hey, don't murder and don't get angry at people. I picture the disciples like, all right, yeah, we ain't no killers. We can do that, you know. That's good. And then he says, don't commit adultery and don't even lust. And the disciples like, that's a little more challenging, but 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 we can do that. And then he takes us up another level and says, don't eat. if somebody hits you, turn the other cheek and and let them hit you again. And we know Peter, uh, Peter carried. Y'all do know that right? Peter had a concealed carry license and Peter was like, "Hold on, Jesus. This sounds good and godly and all, but, but I, I can't get with you on this one. I'm out. But the rest of the disciples said, all right, we'll do that for you, Jesus. But then he says, love your enemies. And the disciples, they all said, come again. And Jesus says, love your enemies. This goes against our natural inclinations, right? We would be okay if Jesus says, "Love your neighbor and don't hate your enemy." We'll be like, "Okay, I ain't gonna hate my enemy." We would even be okay if Jesus said, "Just don't be mean. Be try to be kind to your enemies." But we, something in us just can't stand hearing Jesus say, "Love your enemy." Augustine of Hippo, one of the early church fathers, he said, Many have learned how to offer the other cheek, but do not know how to love him by whom they were struck. Many know how to deal with the harm afflicted to them, but many do not know how to live now loving the person who has just afflicted them. And I want to say up front that this isn't a popular teaching. This, If you're like me, if this is your um, morning reading, you might just read these words real quick and just go ahead and get on over to chapter 6 so you can start uh, reading for real because you don't want to really take these words into account. But for us to be the salt and light of the world, we have to do the hard and painful work that it takes to love our neighbors and love our enemies. The Greek language has four different terms that we translate love. There is phileo, which is brotherly love, which describes the love of two friends. There is storge, which is a family love, which describes a love a child has for their parent. Then there is eros, which is a love that, um, um, that, that describes a romantic, intimate love. But the love of which Jesus speaks here is the highest of love, agape. Agape is the love that seeks and works to meet another person's highest good. Agape is the love that God shows, but also God is. 1 John chapter 4 says, God is agape. Agape. For those who are wondering what God is like or, or even who God is, First John 4 tells you straight up God is agape, this love that is unconditional, that is forgiving, that is slow to anger, that no matter how many times you hurt me, I'm still going to seek your good. And this is the love that Jesus tells us to show to the very people who hurt us, our enemies. So real quick, who, who is your enemy? Um, It's easy for us to think of our enemy as someone who is actively trying to hurt us, someone chasing us around Memphis trying to get us, or it's easy for us to think of our enemy as someone who lives on the other side of the track, totally different than me. But your enemy is anyone that you have hostility towards or anyone who has hurt you. So, kids, Kelsey already said that your enemy can be your, your sibling. Because they have hurt you. Your enemy can be your work supervisor, your manager for not treating you fair. Your enemy could be your roommate in the season of life for not paying rent or not keeping the house clean. Your enemy can be that person who has treated you different because of the color of your skin. Or your enemy could be the person you stood at the altar with and made vows to love forever. No matter who you have hostility against or who has hurt you, God says to show them agape love. And now, as I was thinking about this, the very thing that we love about God, His steadfast love, His forgiveness, His mercy, His grace, just who God is, what we love about God, who we sing praises to God for, it's the same thing we can't stand God for, either. Because we love when God forgives us time after time and loves us and blesses us, but we hate seeing our enemies blessed and forgiven. I can't help but think about Jonah. You know Jonah, the prophet of Israel, and, and he was sent to speak a word to, to the Ninevites who was his enemy, right? And God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and tell them, in 40 days, I'm going to destroy this city. And you would think that this would make Jonah happy. You would think that this would give Jonah a pep in his step to be the one to go to his enemy and say, my God is about to destroy you for everything you have done for me. But my Bible readers know that Jonah didn't go. Jonah ran away. But when Jonah finally went and preached the word, in 40 days, my God is about to bring y'all down. The city of Nineveh, they repented and asked God for forgiveness. And God showed them what? Agape love. And what did Jonah do? The Bible says Jonah got exceedingly angry with God, and he got so mad at God. He said, God, this is why I didn't want to come. He said, I knew you was going to do this. I knew how forgiving you was. I knew um, how loving and slow to anger, full of grace and mercy that you are. This is why I didn't want to come, because I knew you was going to forgive them. How dare you forgive my enemy?" And it's easy for us to read this story and judge Jonah as being wrong, but I have to confess, I have never said with my mouth, but I have thought and felt in my mind, in my heart, how dare you forgive my enemy? How dare you bless them? As a black seminary student, I have sat in a classroom where my professor taught me about Great pastor, this great pastor, this great preacher, this great theologian, and how they greatly influenced this great nation. And as I continue to do my reading upon these great men, these great preachers, these great pastors, I too learned that these great preachers owned slaves. And not only did they own slaves, but they prohibited the preaching to slaves because black people didn't have souls. They were not human beings. And as you can imagine, my my heart began to pump, my blood began to boil, and I began to feel like Jonah. How dare you, God, bless these people? How dare you use these men to lead great revivals and lead people to Christ? In every political season where sensitive issues arise, we naturally sometimes divide over which side we're on, and the other side becomes our enemy. Either you're for Trump or you're for Biden. Either you're pro-choice or you're pro-life. You're affirming or you're not affirming. You're egalitarian or you're complementary. And what happens as we begin to choose sides, we begin to look at the other side as our enemies and begin to think and feel the exact same thing. How dare you, God, bless my enemy? We want God to love us and forgive us, but we want God to punish our enemy. Well, after further consideration, instead of getting angry at God, this should cause us to praise God all the more that God is a God who loves his enemies. Because whether you know it or not, you too were an enemy of God, lost in your sin, facing the wrath of God. Romans 5 verse 10 says, we too were enemies of God, but were reconciled to God through what? The death of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 says, we were dead in our sins, but God being rich in mercy, God being great in love, while we were dead in our sins, while we were enemies of God, He made us alive. And guess what He did? He seated us in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but, but, but I'm glad that God loves His enemies. I'm glad that God is a God who shows steadfast, unrelenting love to to those who hurt him, because where would I be if it had not been for the goodness of the Lord? Where would I be if God's mercy wasn't new every morning? Where would you be if, if God wasn't a God of grace and mercy, who goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life? So instead of getting angry that we have to love our enemies, we should praise God that he is a God who loves us. And if you think you can accept the love of God but still hate your enemy, I have to tell you that a rejection to love your enemy is a rejection of God's love all together. We pray earlier the Lord's Prayer, Father, forgive forgive me for my sins as I forgive those who sinned against me. To accept God's love, we have to extend God's love. To accept God's forgiveness and His grace, we have to, too, extend God's forgiveness and grace. So we love our enemies because God first loved us. And this is my second point. Love and pray for your enemies because this is what God's children do. This is what God's children do. Look again at verses 44 and 45. Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So Jesus gives a clear reason why we love and pray for our enemies so that you may be children of your heavenly Father. And this isn't a statement about earning your place in God's house. This is a statement that's saying now that you have a place in God's house, this is what God's children do. So we love and pray for our enemy, not because our enemies deserve it, not because they apologize, not because they changed their mind, but because we want to be like our Father and honor our Heavenly Father. And this is what pleases Him. Jesus is teaching that that before you encountered the love of God and placed your faith in Jesus, you too were an orphan outside of God's house. You, you used to live a different way, but now that you are God's children, you now live by a different set of rules. Um, in your old house, you may be stayed up late playing video games, eating Cap and Crunch at midnight, but in God's house, you got a bedtime at nine o'clock. In your old house, you may be colored on the Color on the walls, jump on the couch, threw pillows, but in God's house, you're going to sit down and act like you got some sense, right? <laughs> in the old house, you used to steal, lie, and, and do all types of crazy stuff, but in God's house, you're going to be honest and treat people with respect. And in your old house, you used to hate your enemy. You used to write them out of your life. You used to ignore them, give them the cold shoulder, or even seek revenge. But now in God's house, you're going to love them, pray for them, and seek their good. We seek the good of our enemies because we are God's children, and our goal is to be like our Father. Again, we are to be the lights and the salt of the world, seeking to bring healing, healing and to change the relationships around us. And I want to quickly say that praying for your enemy and loving your enemy is not ignoring the trauma, the pain, the hurt that they have caused. But it's getting to a place that You care about them enough that you want to see them even in their own life restored, healed, and brought in to God's house as well. One of my favorite um, pastors, who I have never met, Tony Evans, Uh, I have a lot of his books and have learned a lot from him. Um, This past Father's Day, he told the story of his dad and his mom and how they came to faith and how because they came to faith, it has now blessed and transformed their entire lineage. And he tells the story that his dad, Arthur Evans, was the neighborhood handyman. If your car broke down, you called Arthur. If your um, sink sink started to leak, you called Arthur. And Arthur also was the neighborhood bootlegger making um, whiskey in his garage and selling it out of his, um, you know, house. So if you can imagine, the entire neighborhood loved Arthur Evans. But they loved him until he became a Christian because when he became a Christian, he stopped living the way he used to live and he stopped making and selling alcohol. And he fell in love with reading the Bible and praying and and just being a man of good character. And you would think that Arthur's new life would bless his marriage. It actually tore his marriage Apart, Evelyn, his wife, could not stand Arthur. Evelyn later said, I didn't like him as a sinner, and I couldn't stand him as a saint. And she did everything in her power to get rid of this Christianity thing in her husband. She yelled at him, she cussed him out, she threatened to leave him if she caught him reading and praying. And Arthur, to keep the peace in his house, he will wait until she went to sleep and, and, and sneak downstairs and read his Bible, and, and in the lonely dark night will cry out to God, praying for the woman who has hurt him so deeply. Praying for the woman who, who, who doesn't even love him anymore, and praying for his family. This went on for six long months, and one night at midnight, Evelyn told the story that she came downstairs crying, and Arthur looked up like, uh-oh, here here we go again. And she was crying, and she said, I have tried everything in my power to get rid of this Christian anything, but it has to be real. Because the more I hated you, the more you loved me. The more I rejected you the more you accepted me the meaner i got to you the nicer you were to me so if it can change you can it change me i want whatever you have and right there in that moment arthur and evelyn who were once two enemies became one again they got on their knees and they prayed and evelyn received christ and now today they raise a son by the name of tony evans who has one of the biggest preaching ministries this nation has ever seen. And I want us to know that marriage counseling didn't heal this couple. Um, A vacation did not heal this couple. Um, An apology from Evelyn didn't even heal this couple, but what healed this couple was Arthur acting as God's son and loving his enemy and praying for her. And this, too, is the opportunity that we have to heal the broken relationships, to heal the broken communities around us, not by ignoring them, not by judging them, not by giving them the cold shoulder, by loving and praying for them in spite of the hurt. What God calls us to today doesn't feel good, and it isn't easy. It's actually frustrating. It's probably the most frustrating thing that it is to be a Christian. But nonetheless, he calls us to this. And this is my last and final point. Love and pray for your enemies because God calls his children to a higher standard. Love and pray for your enemies because God, if you're God's child, has called you to a higher standard. Look again at verse 46 with me. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do this? And And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus just asks four consecutive questions, not to get an answer, but for us to listen and examine ourselves. He says, You love those who love you. So what? What's the big deal? How is that challenging to be nice to the to people who are nice to you or who lives like you or who looks like you? Even tax collectors who are known sinners who don't care nothing about God or others, they even do this. So, what reward do you have for tying your shoes? Everybody can do that. What Reward do you have to greet and talk to your brothers and sisters, talk to those who live like you, vote like you, act like you don't. The Gentiles do the same, the Gentiles being the people who are outside of God's kingdom, live in all types of crazy ways. Like, Jesus is calling us to a higher standard right now. We got to feel this and see this. And Jesus speaking to his own right now is not saying, I'm calling you, to just get by in this world, Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to more. I'm not calling you to live like the world. I'm calling you to more, to be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. God is holy, and we too Since we have placed our faith in Him and been washed by His blood, we are holy in Christ. So now we live our lives trying to live up pursuing a standard that is pleasing to God. And with God being perfect doesn't mean that we and ourselves are perfect or will be perfect, but this is the standard, the aim that God's children live up to now. And the only way to live up to God's standard is through Jesus Christ himself. So we can love the impossible, the impossible to love. We can love our enemy through the strength that we have in Christ Jesus. So you may be wondering, before I sit down, where do we get that strength, that power to love our enemies? And I want to tell you to look no further than the cross. Because when we look at the cross, what are we reminded of? We're reminded by the fact that Jesus was forsaken and left alone in his time of need by those closest to him. His closest friend fell asleep on him when he emotionally needed them But guess what Jesus said? I still love him. When the army came to arrest Jesus, all those who promised to stand with him ran away. But do you know what Jesus said? I still love him. When the Roman guards unjustly took Jesus and beat him, placed a crown of thorns on his head and beat it until his skull, Jesus said, I love them. When they whipped him, Jesus said, I love them. When he, they placed two nails in his hand and nails in his feet on that cross, Jesus yelled out all the louder, I still love them. They laughed at him. They mocked him. They stripped him naked. They humiliated him. They stripped him of his rights. But somehow, some way, Jesus still said, I loved him. A totally innocent man was wrongfully convicted of a crime and was given the death penalty, but Jesus loved him. And on that cross, in his dying breath, he yelled out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus prayed for his enemies, prayed for the people who was actively hurting him. Why? Because he still loved them. And I praise God today that God is still a God who loves his enemies. God is still a God who says, I love you. When you go back down that path of addiction that you promised God and your loved ones, you were done with, Jesus says, I love you. When you fail to love your enemies as he has commanded you, Jesus still says, I love you. And I love the fact that that, that God doesn't give us the cold shoulder or say, you promised me last time was the last time, but you messed up again. But God says, I still love you. I'm still yours. I'm still your heavenly father. You still have a home. I still want to see you restored. I love you. And I want to sit down by saying God loves his enemies and desires his enemies to become his children. And you can know this love and receive the blessings of God no matter how far away you feel. No matter what you have done or continue to do, God's grace is sufficient to cover your weakness. God's love is deeper than your sin. He promises to remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. God is all-knowing, but His memory of sin is short. He is slow to anger and quick to forgive. God's mercy never runs out. His power is unlimited. God's goodness doesn't grow tired. Great is His faithfulness, and His blood would never lose its power. And Jesus is the Lamb of God sent from God to take away the sins of the world. So where your sin is great, the oceanic love of God is deeper. So before I sit down, I just have to urge you to call on God today to experience this life-changing love And he will give you the power to love even when it hurts. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, for you so loved the world that you sent your only son, that whoever believes in him may have life everlasting. Lord, you demonstrated your love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, even though we hurt you, you love us. And Lord, we know this, but yet, Lord, it's still hard for us to be transformed, to find in our hearts to love those very people who have hurt us. Maybe it is our pride. Maybe it is our ego. Maybe it is just a deep wound that is still open. But Lord, whatever it is, I ask you to give us all the strength to love and pray for our enemies. But this is honoring and pleasing unto you. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive the Lord's blessing, which comes from the song, God is Good. May your struggles keep you near the cross, and may your troubles show that you need God. And may your battles end the way they should. And may your bad days prove that God is good. And may your whole life prove that God is good. Go in peace, downtown church. Be blessed.